The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with the Vice President of Corporate Development for Nobilis Health Corporation, Colin Azonian. Nobilis trades in the U.S. as HLTH and on the TSX as NHC. Nobilis is a recognized healthcare leader and marketing innovator that develops, owns, and partners with ambulatory surgery centers, hospitals, and physician practices to provide high-yield procedures in the rapidly expanding, minimally invasive elective surgery market. Mr. Azonian is responsible for the oversight of all mergers, acquisitions, joint ventures, and investor relations. Colin, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For listeners old and new, catch us up on Nobilis. What have you been doing over the last year that is very, very exciting? Well, we've built a tremendous foundation over the last year or so, and it's primarily been focused on our ability to provide tremendous operational excellence to each one of our facilities, which are located in the Houston, Dallas, and Phoenix markets. We have been primarily focused on continuing our organic growth, which has just been tremendous, specifically driven through our ability to provide world-class marketing and sales efforts, which help our physicians and our physician partners do a tremendously high-quality level of care within our facilities. So that really has been our core focus in continuing to grow organically and from an operational standpoint. In parallel, we continue to see tremendous opportunity in the merger and acquisition world. And we've ventured into the surgical hospital space, which provide us the ability to do much more complex surgical procedures that align nicely with what we're doing on the marketing side in terms of creating a multi-specialty branded portfolio. And Closing those surgical hospitals last year have just added incredible opportunity in terms of how we've been able to grow. So growth has been the key element, that's for sure. Not every public or private company focuses on marketing to the degree that Nobilis does. Marketing is definitely related to your bottom line, is it not? Absolutely. It's a unique business model that truly none of our peers or public competitors out there not only have, but are able to replicate. This is something that's been built over the years. It's very sophisticated. There's a lot of proprietary technology and processes that go into executing you know, our marketing capabilities. And you see that at the bottom line. So essentially, in addition to growing your own business, you're growing those of surgeons and physicians that you're attracting to Nobilis, correct? That's correct. So we not only cap- capture patients through our direct-to-consumer national ad campaigns, but we also work with independent physicians and their practices to help truly grow their business and manage it from that point forward. And you're doing that, I assume, with the surgical hospitals that you're acquiring as well. 
That's correct. So our surgical hospitals, in essence, give us the ability to, as I mentioned before, do those much more complex type surgeries. You have 72 hours of inpatient time, if you will. Those surgical hospitals are effectively big opportunities for us to provide a wonderful center of care for those patients that we do acquire through our marketing efforts. Tell us about the boutique surgical outpatient centers that you have based in Houston, Dallas, and Phoenix. Right. So each one of these centers truly is a luxurious environment. It's a world-class environment where I almost relate them to a small boutique hotel or country club. You know, some of them with valet parking, the cafeterias, the doctor's lounges, most importantly, the patient rooms, wood flooring throughout. I mean, these are high quality luxury spaces so that our patients come in the door and they truly feel like they're in a place where they're going to get excellent care and enjoy the environment that they're going to be in, albeit it's a short turnaround time, whether 24 hours in the uh, ASC space or up to 72 in the surgical hospitals. But it truly provides a unique and wonderful environment for these folks. And on the flip side, for the doctors, right? These surgeons who have been going to the hospitals and park in parking garages and constantly see a different quality of staff members that are working with them in these ORs, this provides them with a wonderful place to work. So we really put a lot of focus and effort in terms of managing these facilities. Okay, now that sounds expensive. Explain to our audience how that's simply not the case. It's not expensive. And it's great for the physicians, insurance companies, and patients as well. Absolutely. And and it comes down to size and your ability to manage them effectively. They're efficiently built so that they are not built with a lot of overhead and, and they're built to do one thing and that's surgery. So from the moment you walk in that door to the moment you leave, every single space that you're in and the clinical workflow that, that occurs in this facility is built on an efficiency model. So you may have nice luxury type of amenities in terms of actually the production, if you will, it's efficient and it's cost effective. So as you mentioned, the payers and the insurance companies love this model because you're providing a higher quality of care, a more efficient level of care, and you're doing it in a setting that reduces the overall cost of these individual procedures. I'm sure you have a great deal of positive word of mouth testimonials, but that itself is not really enough to grow a business. When most folks have an injury or pain that requires care and they don't have a solution in mind immediately, they may surf the internet willy-nilly attempting to find that solution, and therein the risk may be lurking and unreliable. As you've mentioned, your marketing campaign is fairly extensive and designed to capture these inquiries. It is a unique model in terms of the talent, people, and resources and how well they're trained and the backgrounds that these individuals have in terms of working with potential new patients. And that process starts from the very beginning. They may be, as you said, willy-nilly searching the internet or asking around their friends. But at that point, that's really where we capture these patients. Now, that's only the beginning, right? These patients then need to be educated. What really are they looking for? Is this something that one of the Nobilis brands can offer them? If it is something, let's tell them a little bit more about why it's going to be important to them. Let's share the testimonials that other patients have received. Let's introduce them to the physician network that we have under the Nobilis system. Let's really show them our facilities and quality of care. And all of a sudden, it becomes much more than just a, well, this is what these guys do. We've created an experience for this individual that nobody else 
else can offer. And once they understand that experience and start to engage with it, we then help them put together their medical history, the profile that's required that typically is very hard for a patient to do. Once we package that all together for them, we review it internally and we present them if necessary, if they meet all the requirements as a surgical candidate to one of our surgeons at one of our facilities. And at that point, it truly is up to the surgeon to determine whether they are a candidate for surgery. However, it's, it's that process, that level of education, and really cutting out all of that legwork that both the patient and the doctor have to do to get to the actual point of surgery. Nobilis handles all of that behind the scenes, and that's a big part of the process that you truly don't see on the front, but is definitely happening on the back end. We have listeners all over the U.S., and we've been discussing primarily the Houston, Dallas, and Phoenix area. I'm sure there are folks with conditions that would qualify for care at your facilities outside those cities, and they may be thinking of asking us, how about me? What can I do to acquire this kind of specialized treatment, comfort, and expediency, if you will? What would you say to them? That's a great question. And what we would tell you is there truly are two options. One, we have partnership facilities. We have 33 of them all over the country in a variety of different states. So we definitely have facilities that we have evaluated the quality of care that these guys provide and simply offer an additional treatment center for you. Now, we don't own or have equity in these facilities, but we've done all of the legwork to make sure that these facilities would be a facility that we would want with the Nobilis name and the Nobilis brand of procedures truly on the front door. So we do offer that and we also do have patients who given the level of quality of care and the top notch level of care that we provide, they are willing to get on airplanes. We have a lot of customers who may be up in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the middle of December, right, who fly down to our Scottsdale facility and spend the week down there to get a procedure done. So it gives them a little vacation time and and they get a little surgery along with it. Interestingly enough, we do have quite a bit of patients that are willing to get on airplanes and schedule these quick, easy-to-recover surgical procedures at our facilities in Texas and Arizona, especially uh, in the wintertime. What a concept, one I've never thought of. Let's talk about the revenue stream. You've been a profitable corporation. Let's talk about how Nobilis revenues may have grown during the last year. Absolutely. So straight up, yes, absolutely, we're still profitable and growing our profits. I think if we look at our average revenue per case and how that's gone up, I mean, that's a really good indicator of what Nobilis is trying to achieve, which is maintain a diversified portfolio of procedures, but continue to grow into spaces that drive that revenue up and continue to drive our margins up as well. Our complex spine procedures, the spine world is continues to be a big part of our business. The orthopedic brand, Onward Orthopedics, that we recently launched within the last year is an additional procedure type that we are including and in trying to grow and we're seeing great success there. The bariatric world as it relates to stomach procedures is another one. So we're heavily focused on growing through optimization of the type of procedures that we're able to brand and provide in our facilities. I also would say, too, that a lot of our strategy and effort going forward, too, is the recent launch of Concertus, which is our bundled payment initiative. And that truly relates to the types of procedures that we're providing. So on the orthopedic side, if you look at total joints, those are procedures that we're going to continue to do, continue to market for, and continue to grow within our facility base 
And you're going to start to see that those bundled payments or alternative payment models that we contract for will significantly be a contributing factor in continued growth and profitability. What do you see as a representative of Nobilis as a general reason for a listener to potentially consider the company as a possible investment opportunity? Straight off the bat, it's all about the business model. Like I said earlier, there is nobody who can do what we do or is doing what we're doing out there in an effective manner with the returns that they're getting. We are a unique model. We're disruptive. There's a heavy technology component to what we do. Tremendous amounts of IP that allow us to create a patient experience that no one else is able to replicate. And I think it's it's that business model that truly is your number one reason for investment. Two is our ability to execute in the fundamentals of this business. We now have built what I see is the foundation to grow into a national scaled business where we have a tremendous amount of facilities across the country and we're able to serve the entire U.S. base of patients who are looking for a better alternative than going to their local hospital. We provide a tremendous level and quality of care in that experience. And I think we're now at the point where you're going to see not just year-over-year growth, and we're going to continue to execute on that, but an appetite to truly serve the entire U.S. healthcare population. Of course, everything rides on the success and strength of your management team. Tell us about that team. So our management team has just done a phenomenal job and is quite impressive, specifically in their historical record in growing this company, leveraging opportunistic distressed assets or or properties. And through those acquisitions have shown that this really is an organic growth story where we truly have acquired not businesses who are making tons of money and doing a tremendously successful job, but we have acquired businesses that are struggling. And it's our business model that's come in and really turned these things around and shown consistent growth quarter after quarter. So the management team, first and foremost, needs to be commended for their ability to, one, provide organic growth through a unique business model, but two, being able to manage the operations efficiently and effectively in a way that generates a solid bottom line. Going forward, we have made some tremendous investments in talent and management. Myself personally, I've joined recently within about a year or so here, coming from McKesson, which is a large Fortune 10 organization now, I believe, participating and focusing primarily on our merger and acquisition strategy in addition to our investor relations. Rissa Areola is a recent hire of ours who came from Baker Donaldson and really is a top national law firm where her focus is to build out our concertus business which is focused on these bundle payments. And she has tremendous experience, credibility, and reputation in the space doing that. So we continue to invest in management and acquiring talent from the outside. And we just also hired a chief accounting officer as we look to optimize and clean up our internal controls and make sure that we are truly acting as a large public entity. Marcos Rodriguez uh, has got tremendous experience coming from top national audit firms. So we're truly seeing a significant growth in our ability to acquire talent and leverage the existing talent that's been here as well. Well, Colin, it's been a pleasure meeting you and I've enjoyed our time together. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Thank you. Take care. Appreciate the time. I've been speaking with Colin Azonian, Vice President of Corporate Development for Nobilis Health Corporation. Nobilis trades in the U.S. under the symbol HLTH and on the TSX as NHC. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. And listen to the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes and the TuneIn Radio app. Do you have questions that need answers about our sponsor companies? 
Contact them. Find the logos of all of our sponsors on the homepage of our website. Click on them and learn more about our client companies. EllisMartinReport.com Once again, here's Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Dr. Brad Thompson, CEO and President of Oncolytics Biotech Incorporated, trading as ONCYF in the U.S. and as ONC on the TSX. Oncolytics Biotech is a biotechnology company focused on the development of oncolytic viruses as potential therapeutics for use in a broad range of cancers. The company is conducting clinical studies using Reolice and its proprietary formulation of the human Reovirus and some of the most prevalent forms of the disease, including lung, colorectal, and pancreatic cancers. Brad, welcome back to the program. What's going on now? Well, there's been preliminary results announced both in lung cancer and in colorectal cancer. And the colorectal cancer data in particular is very exciting and really sets the direction for us going forward in the near term. Let's review colorectal cancer. It's not specific to men or women. It's been tough to treat. Colorectal cancer is a very serious cancer. And like many other cancers, if it's detected early, when it's still dislocalized in the colorectal range, it's usually curable or at least treatable. And usually by surgery or a combination of surgery or radiation. And I mean, it's just imagine a tube that's your colon and they just top out a piece on either side of the tumor and sew the ends back together like you would your garden hose if it had a leak and that usually works but it's when it spreads beyond that and it usually goes to places like the liver first and sometimes into the lymph nodes that's when it transitions from being treatable to being deadly and it is deadly i mean the long-term survival rates for a colorectal cancer are still not very good and most to all the patients depending on where you are when you're in that condition will end up dying i mean there, there needs to be improvement now there has been improvement in recent years there's been some new drug combinations introduced and i'll put a plug in for one of my colleague companies introduction of a vast and into the treatment of colorectal cancer has really helped out but there's still a lot of room for improvement and so what we've been focusing on is looking to see if there's signs that realize in our product actually works on the metastatic lesions because that's the ones that kill patients and we've had two now randomized clinical studies, so studies where there's a control group that gets the standard of care versus the test group, which gets the standard of care plus real license, and that have indicated that we're actually seeing improved responses in the metastatic lesions that go to the liver. And uh, the first was in a head and neck study that we ran several years ago, and that was the first indication that we had in a randomized study that real license actually works really well in metastatic lesions. And we had a statistically significant outcome in reducing metastatic lesions primarily in the liver. We've seen the same thing in this clinical study with colorectal cancer. And what we spotted was that in patients that had metastatic liver lesions, that we had a statistically significant improvement in both the response rate and the degree of shrinkage. That's quite remarkable. And so what we're planning on doing is now moving ahead with a follow-on study to confirm that. And that takes us right up to the end of the product development cycle. So it's extremely positive for us and positive for the patients involved, of course. And hopefully it will be positive in the end for our shareholders. When might we see more news in this particular study? We're still waiting for patients to finish, which is a nice euphemism for more patients, unfortunately, dying. So you can do the final statistics. And that relates to the other very interesting thing that we saw in this study is that there was, for the first time in a clinical study, we actually saw gender differences in response rates. The men, we saw about a 10% increase in response rate, which if you run a big enough study, would give you statistics that would be manageable. But the women just under tripled. So we took the response rate from you know the low 20s of percent, so partial responses are better, and took it up into the 60s. I've never seen that before, and particularly in colorectal cancer. That presumably will show some 
hopefully lifespan benefit in the women. And there's certainly a trend for that now, but not enough patients have died. So the data analysis, there was still 60 some percent of the patients alive. So it's still early days in looking at that particular outcome. But very exciting just to see a trend. And we're hoping that over time that trend will firm up and we'll actually be able to say we're increasing lifespan in, in women and with colorectal cancer. Having a gender-specific therapeutic is really quite remarkable. It's really quite uncommon. Let's get back to lung cancer. And it's been my experience over the course of my lifetime that you don't always need to be a smoker to catch that particular disease. Is there any data on what causes lung cancer that you're aware of? Well, most lung cancers are caused by either firsthand exposure to smoke, you smoking, or secondhand exposure to smoke, you know, being around people that smoke. But there is a small percentage of patients who get lung cancer without either of those risk factors. And honestly, we really don't know why. The assumption is there's some sort of environmental trigger, and usually the patients have genetics that predispose them to having cancer anyway. And so it's probably a combination of those two, but nobody's really established it. I mean, there's some very specific environmental things that cause cancer, like exposure to asbestos can cause cancer and, and a few things like that, but it's mostly smoking. Is there any data on smoking cigarettes per se that would necessarily cause other kinds of cancer? in the body? Smoking causes a distressingly large number of cancers in the body. It's probably the single biggest thing that as a society we could do would be to quit smoking to prevent cancer. Uh, The second would be diet and the third would be exercise. I mean, if everybody didn't smoke, ate a balanced diet, not just one thing or the other, and we're in good shape, we'd probably cut our cancer rates by at least half maybe two-thirds. That's a pretty big number. But smoking, and pretty much anywhere where the smoking affects you is where you get the cancer. So most oral cancers are caused by smoking. Most head and neck cancers are caused by smoking. Lung, of course. But then you start getting into places you don't normally think of, like you know bladder cancer. Most bladder cancers are probably due to smoking. But when you think about it, where's all those toxins getting excreted? They're coming out in your urine, and where does your urine get pooled? Well, it's in your bladder, so that's the case. So, And there's a few other kind of more minor cancers, but those are the major ones. But that's a big percentage of cancers. I mean, head and neck cancer is the third most common cancer. Lung cancer is arguably you know, the second. And we don't know about the risk factors and some other things. I mean, probably pancreatic cancers or some are induced by smoking. Probably some colorectal cancers. All of a sudden, we're starting to talk about most of the cancers people know about, right? So it's, it's a really a serious thing. And certainly, you know, my family, I mean, both my mom and my uncle both died of directly of easily traceable to smoking-related cancers. It's just around and it's just there. There's been many people that have had lung cancer and they've died and they may not have been exposed to cigarettes or cigarette smoking for a good 20 years or more, but yet somehow it caught up with them later in life. Is there anything we can say to young people that feel fearless and resilient to pretty much anything that will translate into something that will shock them into uh, stopping smoking or not doing it if they're thinking of doing it? Well, if they're already smoking, I mean, the risk factor really drops down, depending on who you talk to, really drops down either between five or 10 years of quitting smoking. You're pretty much back to baseline. I mean, there are cases, as you just mentioned, that people still get cancer from smoking after that. But pretty much most of your risk is gone if you quit and you make it through the next five or 10 years. It's really tough to tell somebody who thinks they're immortal. Yeah, most kids think they're immortal. I did. I mean, I didn't think anything could happen to me. It's just a miracle of some sorts that I made it through my teen years. When you look back, you go, whoa, that's not a very good thing. But you know, I did and here I am. But it's really hard to tell somebody who has that mindset. And if we all think about it, we all did pretty much. You know, something that may not cause a problem for you for 20, 30, 40, 50 years is a big deal. I mean, it's really hard not to do that. And showing pictures of, you know, 70-year-olds with lung cancer doesn't really help much. But when you see celebrities, some of those celebrity ads that people have done when they're dying and they do, but by the time you've seen this ad, I've already died of lung cancer, those kind of things matter. 
And those things actually have had positive impact. The right type of advertising can really make a difference. I think when actor Leonard Nimoy was dying, he issued that sort of proclamation against smoking that it had been a factor in his death. Yeah, and, and that one being a lifelong Leonard Nimoy and Spock fan, it moved me. And I, you know, I don't smoke. I mean, I saw that sequence. When people mean something to you as a celebrity, it has an impact. I mean, it really does. So it's too bad, you know, David Bowie couldn't have done one of those because that would have had an impact on a different population. And I mean, you can just go through the list of people that died of things. You know, when Patrick Swayze died of pancreatic cancer, he did a little sequence, if I remember correctly, before he died. And I mean, those things really matter to people because those people are real to all of us. So what is the basis of your excitement this week? When you look at what kills cancer patients, I mean, most primary cancers, so the cancer of the pancreas, cancer of the colon, cancer of the lung, aren't what kill cancer cancer patients. What kills cancer patients is when that spreads beyond that primary organ site and other regions. We call it metastasis. The two metastatic sites that kill most patients are brain cancer metastasis and liver metastasis. And this is the second time in a randomized clinical study we've actually seen liver metastasis having a lot of benefit by treating real license. Last year, we actually saw for the first time brain metastasis having the first time impact with real license. And so what you've got is an agent here that actually might address both of the major reasons that people die. And that Honestly, I thought I'd never be able to say that out loud, but you know, we'll have to prove it up in further studies in that. But it's there. You can see it. And, and that's why I'm excited. Brad, thank you again for joining me today on the program. Oh, thank you very much, Ella. I've been speaking with Dr. Brad Thompson, CEO and president of Oncolytics Biotech Incorporated, trading as ONCYF in the U.S. and as ONC on the TSX. Listen to the segment again on our website or download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes. Remember, all of the companies you're hearing about today have paid us for the opportunity to be reviewed by you on this program. Do your own research before investing in anything mentioned here. Start by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Join me for a conversation with Eric Fear, President and CEO of Silvercrest Metals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SIL. Silvercrest is a Canadian precious metals exploration company headquartered in Vancouver, B.C. that's focused on new discoveries, value-added acquisitions, and targeting production in Mexico's historic precious metals district, including three properties in prolific Sonora State. Eric, welcome back to the program. You've recently been to the Los Chispas Mine in Sonora State, Mexico, and what can you tell us? We just returned, boots on the ground, did full review of the eight drill holes that we've drilled so far to date. That's about 17, 1800 meters of drilling. No assays yet. I don't have x-ray vision, so I can't tell you, but we did do a news release, and we did say in the news release that we hit stock work and veining. Those are always important things to know. <laughs> so there is some continuity to the system. A lot of the emphasis now moving forward is, and part of my review just back from Los Chispas, is to look at the continuity of the veins. If you remember, there's uh, 14 historic veins that were mapped and about three that were mined on. So we're focusing right now on the areas that were previously mined. The grades for those areas averaged uh, 1.7 kilos per ton silver and about 15 grams per ton gold. So those are exciting numbers. I could only uh, aspire to get such numbers uh, moving forward here. But even half of that 
that makes a lot of sense from an economic standpoint. This is more of a developing story now than an exploration greenfield story. Any chance the Las Chispas mine could be larger than the uh, Santa Elena mine that you sold off to uh, First Majestic? The original discovery that we made at Santa Elena, which is about 25 kilometers south of Las Chispas, was about 25 million ounces silver equivalent. So that's my target in my head right now. And then once you make that initial discovery, then it just becomes a double or a triple from there. And that's what Santa Elena did. That would be great if we could tell the story as it develops just like Santa Elena. And that's the feeling I get. This feels like Santa Elena. Santa Elena is wider, lower grade. Las Chispas is narrower vein, higher grade. And you and the management team was intimately involved with Santa Elena, of course. Yeah, we started the original Silvercrest mines. I'll call it the old Silvercrest. Now we're the new Silvercrest or Silvercrest Metals. We started that in 2003. We signed a deal on Santa Elena in November of 2005. Did the discovery nine months later. That's the feeling I'm getting right now at Las Chispas. Nine months later, we're coming on to the potential discovery at Las Chispas. And then within uh, three years, we financed and started construction. So quite aggressive. I love Mexico because of this I can permit these things pretty quick and bring value to the shareholders very rapidly. Speaking of rapid value to the shareholders, I'd be remiss if I didn't note the fact that you're the top company on the TSX right now, to my knowledge, with regard to mining that has seen share growth, 712% actually, since we began in February to tell your story. Yeah, that's correct. And I'd like to say that was all to our doing, but that's mostly the market, Ellis. I think you're seeing a change in the market. Hopefully this is the start of the next bull cycle. I'm a cycle guy and these things usually happen every five to seven years and we're coming on to that five to six year point right now. So look for the bull market. My timing on this was 2017. Maybe these are baby steps that we're starting right now and we'll see where it goes from here. Well, even then we track other silver companies and yours has been astronomical and I imagine it's because everybody's aware of the good work you've done in the past and the good work that you're doing now. Yeah, you live by your reputation in your last deal. We've made quite a bit of money for the old silver party that was with us. If you stayed along with the merger or acquisition that occurred with First Majestic, that price when we did that deal in October 1st was about a $150 million deal. And what we did was we invested 23% into First Majestic. If you stayed with that till today, you would already gotten a fourfold on that. So it's about a half a billion dollar deal today. Eric, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for joining me here in Los Angeles today. Thanks for being on the program. Great. Thanks for having me again, Ellis. Look forward to getting together with you again in the future. I've been speaking with Eric Fear, CEO and President of Silvercrest Metals. Silvercrest Metals trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol SIL. Listen to this segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com, and download the entire Ellis Martin Report on iTunes or TuneIn Radio. I'm Ellis Martin. It is our purpose to assist you in finding your own personal truths. We can't tell you what they are. We can suggest how you go about finding them, though, as they reach up through your subconscious to find you. That's right. Your truths are easier to find than you think. They lie just beneath the surface of your consciousness waiting for acknowledgement by you. They hold all that you need to provide you with a life of fulfillment. They are the keys to your own brand of personal happiness, and they are free. Your likes and dislikes, what you are attracted to and repelled by, it's all there. Most of us feel the effects of a life that is not fulfilling to us. It often comes in the form of discomfort manifesting physically or sadness that brings us down. At the same time, we are attuned to that which is healthy for us, bringing us joy. We all know what that is. 
whether it is a loved one or a favorite place, a hobby or a group activity. If we can stop what we're doing, thinking long enough to let the truth come through, it will, as they say, set us free. In that truth, there is always opportunity. The opportunity lies in what we do with that knowledge. How will we turn our truths into opportunity that can be rewarding for us? That is the question for the day. A good place to begin is by removing those obstructions in our lives that keep us from our truths. If you're applying yourself in directions that are unproductive and born out of old habits that used to work in a different part of your life, you need to make a change. What worked for you two years ago may not apply today. You were a different person then, at a different stage of growth. If you think there's a point where you can grow no more, then you're wrong. As far as life is concerned, growth equals personal evolution. You are becoming your totality or all of there is that is you. It takes a lifetime. If you were to hold off all growth, stagnation sets in along with discomfort and possible disease of some sort. Motion and movement in a positive direction often leads to good health and a healthy mind. Growth feeds the soul. The soul needs new input. There is so much to experience. You cannot experience anew without putting yourself out there in the world, being available for that experience that is constantly waiting. The opportunities abound everywhere. Right now, I like to focus in on personal opportunities for growth and happiness. Happiness is not always in the future. It is here in the present moment. If we live for tomorrow and forget about the present moment, then we will never acquire the experience necessary to appreciate tomorrow. All that we are currently experiencing adds to the fullness of what we are becoming. This is a truth that should be obvious. It often isn't. That's all right. Just by listening to this program at whatever age or point that you are in your life, you're opening up the possibilities of opportunity lying ahead. One of the ways that you can discover what moves you or may motivate you is by keeping a daily journal. In this journal, you can list hopes that you have for yourself. If you're focused on writing them down, you actually may come up with something that you can look at and review on a daily basis. In addition to your hopes for yourself, you can jot down any of the thoughts that you may have, whether they be positive or negative. This will give you a chance to examine your life and how you think. It will show you what you may consider removing so that positive growth can take place. After about a week, you'll be able to see the patterns of your thought processes clearly on paper. What you return to day after day are those things that need attention, often identifying them as one of the key steps in making necessary change. You can only address what you are keenly aware of through identification. Let us suppose that you have discovered through this process of keeping a journal what you'd like to change or improve upon in your life, but you haven't addressed what you may need to do to make that happen. What shall you do then? The answer is simple. You must write down on a daily basis actions that you could take to achieve these new goals or desires, even if they may not seem doable, even if they are in fact outrageous. The more that you identify actions that you can take to fulfill yourself, the more you are programming your subconscious mind to achieve your goals. You will be naturally drawn to what is fulfilling for you. New opportunities will arise for you to take advantage of that could just bring you more happiness. Through this daily process of identifying your likes and dislikes and possible actions of achieving possible growth and then perhaps taking them to heart, you may be experiencing fulfillment in process. Often during these times of self-discovery and effort towards personal growth, opportunities come to you seemingly out of thin air in directions that appear unconnected to your effort as if by coincidence. 
I will say that once your subconscious mind is convinced that you mean business in this area, it is a very powerful tool that can connect on levels unknown to you to assist you in success. This is the truth. Test these truths out. See if they work for you. Begin right away. There's no need to discuss it with anyone. Your journal should be private. Your goals are better fulfilled if you keep them to yourself and work on them privately. There is no need to disperse the energy of your new goals and desires by discussing them amongst your family and friends. Do it. Don't talk about it. The more we talk about doing something, the less we actually do it. Have you noticed that? It somehow takes away the desire to accomplish deeds if we discuss them. The only persons we have to convince that we're going to achieve are ourselves. If you don't accomplish your goal in its entirety, immediately, that's fine. Learn to pace yourself and grow in increments. That way, you'll not be terribly disappointed by not immediately achieving lofty goals that you have set for yourself. Remember, nothing is outside the realm of being doable if you're truly focused on it. Opportunities arise when you are serious about accepting them. You must keep an open mind about what direction opportunity comes from as well. It can come from any direction. Don't be too quick to dismiss a possible opportunity when it arises. That upcoming event that you may decide not to go to may just yield a chance to bring your goals closer to being realized. Go to that event. There is always a chance to increase the value of your time in life. That is done by participating and not waiting. Don't wait. Participate. Participation is key to achieving success. You have to meet opportunity. It doesn't necessarily make house calls to couch potatoes. Get up, get out, get it on. Luck is, after all, preparation meeting opportunity. We create our own luck. This is not a new message, but it is a message that bears repeating. As soon as you begin, you'll understand. There is a reason that you are listening to these words today. You are here because you are prepared on some level, some deep level, to increase your exposure to opportunities in your life. You're listening to this program because you're preparing to focus on quantitative improvements of the quality of your life. You're preparing to get lucky. You are preparing to meet your opportunities head on. You are getting ready to recognize opportunity by identifying what it is that you are passionate about. There are so many choices for fulfillment. We merely have to select one and pursue it. Take yourself seriously while learning to enjoy the opportunities and perhaps new people that arise in your life. Know that you are very capable of great personal achievement. Human beings are extremely adaptable to many circumstances. Adapt to your goals. Adapt to being fulfilled with your life. Adapt to the opportunities that arise abundantly all around you. Make a list of the possibilities and review it. Look at those options that you feel you can actually accomplish. Keep reviewing the list. Expand upon it. Make a sublist and detail how you can possibly achieve some of the items on the list. It's a starting point. It's a tool. Keep your journals neat and orderly. Make them legible. Show your daily writings and thoughts. Respect. Use nice paper and a decent writing instrument. Honor your etchings. Save them. Reflect on them. Get into the good habit of mapping out your future through the present day that you're in. If you write your journals in a computer, make sure that you print them out every now and then so that you can hold them in your hand easily and read them from time to time. Notice the growth in your thoughts. Notice how you mature in this as time progresses. Don't forget to make note of the successes that you have along the way. They are important. Make note of these successes at least once a month, perhaps weekly. Find successes, improvements in the quality of your life and acknowledge them to yourself. Monitor your own growth. I'm not giving you an assignment as much as I'm giving you a proven method of advancing the quality of your moments during your precious life, made up of the most valuable commodity that there is. That is time. 
Time is what we are given. Use it. Once again, here's Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin today with Dr. Cheryl Pappas, renowned psychotherapist here in Beverly Hills, California. And today we're going to talk about truth. Do people know what their own personal truth is? Welcome to the Opportunity Show, Cheryl. I love the opportunity of being with you today. And I love having the opportunity of being here with you. Now that we've established that, uh, Cheryl, do people tell the truth as a whole, not just to each other, but to themselves? Absolutely not. From birth to until death, we are taught not to tell the truth, actually, if the truth is unflattering or if it's in any way compromising of the persona, the image we want to present. So really, we have to be very deliberate to tell the truth. We have to know ourselves to tell the truth. And we have to want to tell the truth. My question is, do people want to tell the truth? Do you think when we're born that we have a natural sense to be truthful or do we have a natural sense to be untruthful? And if we're not being truthful, is that something we learn from our surroundings as part of this Western culture? What a brilliant question. I think that everyone born is truthful in the moment of birth. How could they not be? There's no sophisticated thinking system that uh, when you're born, you think, I'll smile at this person, I'll get a, a, a lollipop. It doesn't work that way. People are born truthfully. There's no way around it. It's a matter of how quickly do they learn to give the audience, their parents, what they want. How quickly do they learn to be untruthful and to turn away from, from their real truth, the core truth of who they are. That can happen in a matter of months, by the way. So from an early age, we learn to lie, perhaps, to obtain what we want right away from our parents who aren't responding in the fashion that we expect them to? Yes, it sounds trite and Freudian, but yes, indeed. We do learn from our parents how to be pleasing and how to get the love we need. Babies need love. They need to be nourished, they need to be fed, and they need love. And if the love is not there... Believe it or not, at very, very early ages, we become actors and actresses. So the breakdown starts at birth. Truth is related to love somehow. The lack of love can be translated at some point or transitioned into a lack of truth. How do we turn that around as a culture? It's a mighty job. Truth is related to love and connection. I want to use the word connection. If we are born to mother and father who do not connect, they turn away from us. We learn every trick in the bag that we can come up with in our personal makeup to actually get them to turn around and give what we need so desperately. We need to be loved and we need connection. Let's talk about a lack of connection that leads, of course, organically to a lack of truth. The lack of connection leading organically to a lack of truth, which is the reason why I'm sure you have a lot of clients and why there's such a need for people like yourself, is a massive disconnect. My intent with, with this line of questioning is to help get our listeners to a point where they can break that down. We can't look back. We have to look forward. We have to realize how we got here and provide solutions for our listeners to uncover their own personal truths so that they can immediately begin living their lives in a more truthful way. The audience we're looking for right now is composed of people who are not happy, 
who really are not happy and people who know they're not happy. It's very hard to talk about a lack of connection with people who are riding the wave at a high level and getting all the goodies that come with a lack of connection. So the truth and being connected is intertwined in my mind and it starts with telling the truth about not being happy. We are living in a society that does not want to hear about that. If you're unhappy, you're probably you're not talking about it with anyone. Probably putting a good face on your life and talking about what you have or talking superficially. That's a very sad way to be with people and to be with yourself. Well, let's assume for the most part that most people are unhappy about something. And it's something that they visit periodically throughout their day, not just once a week or twice a week, but throughout their day. And let's say that someone like yourself is not available to have these discussions with. What can the listener do to take a step to uncovering the truth and toward that pursuit of happiness, which is written into our Constitution? Well, here's the truth, and I'm just going to put it out there. If you're not feeling down and unhappy to some degree about life as it is today, you're lying. You're telling a big fat lie. Things have changed so much in the last 10 years that if you are of a certain age, or even if you're not, the changes that have occurred are not tilted toward truth. And even though we have a lot of television programming that says these are reality shows, the reality that we're looking at is so disturbing that, you know, there's a bumper sticker that I saw in a car a week ago. If you're not disturbed about something, you're crazy. The truth must be told that life is not sitting well in certain ways for any of us. And once we start talking about how things really feel, immediately we feel a connection with ourselves. We are more relaxed. I'm not telling people to be pessimistic. I'm not saying be sour. I'm saying be honest about negative feelings. That's how we can begin right now to be honest and connected. Very useful information, Cheryl. And having said that, I'm ready to start divulging. What should I do? Should I make a list of what's bothering me? Should I talk to a friend? How do I offload? Well, first of all, give yourself a pat on the back because you're stepping into something so much more natural when you say, I really don't like something in my life. It's bothering me. I could cry, but I just don't want to go there. The minute you reveal that to yourself. It's a cause for celebration because you've taken the first giant step into connection with yourself. You are letting yourself breathe. You may feel more relaxed as, as, a, as a result of that. The next problem is that you probably have a problem talking about it or letting people know that you're in an unhappy place. That's a different subject entirely. Well, you bring in several issues when you want to begin letting people know about that. Then you're involving yourself with others who have their own personal truths and have pat answers for you that maybe are good and maybe aren't. So perhaps the continuation of that self-discovery as far as uncovering your personal truths and acknowledging that you're not happy would be a relief in itself, giving yourself that pat on the back. And then the next step would be to, I'm guessing, you're the expert, would be to perhaps list the positive attributes in your life that do make you happy. And even if you're not doing them right now, you might want to list those things that you believe would make you happy, as well as, let's say, on the other side of that, that same notebook pad, drawing a line and listing those things that do not make you happy and looking at them and maybe a list of four or five different things and then identifying those 
and then focusing on how we're going to get from one side of the pad to the other, maybe. I mean, does that make sense? It does, and you have a remarkable mind, Ellis. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very complicated thing to do, to make a list over here, a list over there. Before you know it, you're listing uh, your days away. A lot of people make lists. I have not found that people who make lists about their feeling states get much relief from that. They would have to make lists every day and update and maybe get it out of their system by writing it down. Maybe that, there's wisdom in that. But let's go back again to some very basic, basic things. The first basic point I want to make is that it's very hard work to admit to yourself that you're not happy in the society we're living in. It's very hard work. I do not take that for granted that that's easy for anyone to do. Is that a safe place to be when you've admitted that you're not happy? The big question after that is, now what? What do I do about it? Where does that leave you once you've found that acknowledgement that you're not happy, which is a truth? That's your first step toward finding your personal truth, but now what? Okay. It's as if we're talking about having an undiagnosed disease where every day you're in chronic, chronic, horrible, sharp shooting pain, but you don't want to go to a doctor and have it diagnosed because you want to pretend that you're well and all is good. If you don't have it diagnosed, if you don't understand that there is some condition, you can't heal yourself. You literally are stuck. You're trapped in a secret unhappiness. And I think 99% of all people walking the earth at this moment probably fall somewhere into that chasm where they're trapped in an unhappiness that they don't think would be attractive to talk about. We've been speaking with Dr. Cheryl Pappas, Beverly Hills psychotherapist, about truth. Cheryl, thanks for joining us today. My great pleasure. We'll continue, hopefully. We've just begun. I sincerely hope that amongst the not-so-wonderful news that enters your ears through various forms of media that you're exposed to, that you're finding joy somehow, somewhere in each day. It is yours to have and to embrace. I can't possibly know in my virtual radio studio somewhere now in cool Southern California how you found your way to the program today or for what reasons. But if you found your way to this program, then it must have something to do with the financial world or wealth accumulation. Typically on this program, we discuss issues related to world currencies, precious metals such as gold and silver, stocks, and the state of the world as a whole, especially in relation to the aforementioned. Whether or not these times are good or bad really depends on your own current state of affairs or your perspective. Let's say that you've managed to keep emotion out of your investment decisions, which is really hard to do, I admit. But let's say that you've actually managed to accomplish this. You're clear-minded and perhaps wondering what you can do to either preserve your present nest egg or to grow it into a larger basket of goodies. You've landed on this program. I've spent quite a bit of time over the years getting to know some of the players in the financial realm of sorts. This does not make me a so-called expert like some of my guests, but it does not necessarily make me less of one either, considering my background is in broadcast journalism. We learn things as we travel through life, and for me, it's after scores and scores of interviews in relation to this business. I will be blunt here with the obvious and perhaps things that you already know. The stock market is a giant pyramid scheme, if you will, and it's supposedly completely regulated and legal, much like casinos in Las Vegas, Atlantic City, or on various Indian reservations around North America, or perhaps wherever you're listening to this broadcast worldwide. It is legal and it is dangerous because you're always betting either on or against the house. The house has all the cards. You don't have as many cards. You have your investment and it becomes the temporary possession of those that built the house that you potentially plan on parking your cash in. 
You're gambling, and often with the same odds that you'd have in Vegas. Depending on your level of education and knowledge of the companies, currencies, or commodities that you're investing in. You're investing in a system perhaps where the exact rules of the game are not fully evident or explained. It is your job to look at these rules, to find them, and discover who the players are. Who built the house that you're intending to visit for either a short or an extended stay? But back to my point about the pyramid scheme. Whomever invests before you could stand to benefit from your investment, which could elevate the price of, let's say, a stock high enough and to such a point where the previous investors or house builders could sell that stock and profit from that uptick. That's how it works. That's how it's supposed to work. It's legal as long as all things are disclosed as they are supposed to be. That's often the case, but sometimes it's not. If you do your homework, you can learn about who is buying and who is selling and at what time. This doesn't make you any smarter than the builders, to use that metaphor, or the investors that bought before you, but it could keep you in the black instead of the red. This is a tough game. You better know how to play it. There are all kinds of investment tools available to you and research material to look through in order to prepare you for investing. Will it ever be enough to keep you fully armed for this money hunt? Probably not. You can, and you probably will get hurt at some point. But the degree of that hurt and the potential profit depend on how well you do this homework. And getting back to another point, all of these experts that I'm in contact with that you've heard on this program are saying something very similar. Markets are in collapse. Currencies are in collapse. Economies are in collapse. Rome is not quite on fire, but the surrounding towns and villages certainly are. Gold and silver is undervalued. There will be a mad rush to these precious metals and then to the stocks that represent these commodities, most of them trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange, the Canadian Venture Exchange, the Frankfurt Exchange, and more and more on the over-the-counter bulletin board or the New York Stock Exchange on what used to be just the Amex. You will be able to accumulate wealth in metals and precious metals or mining issues as money flees from other sectors. Oh, agriculture and entertainment. People need to eat. And they always like to be entertained no matter how their own financial outlook or attitude is. Food and movies along with gold and silver. Probably great potential investments. Still a pyramid scheme that's legal with people profiting from those investing after they do. There will be money to make. This is the latest bubble, and it will last for a while, whether or not there is war, recession, a depression, or an awful environmental disaster, the nature of what we're seeing in the Gulf of Mexico. There will be a flock to investment safety and lots of wealth to be made for a while. But remember, as in any bubble, when it reaches its greatest apex, it will burst, with those that came in early kicking that bubble off and staying in, profiting the most. There will be some deals that are real in the resource sector. There will be some that are perhaps not as real. Many resource stocks, real or not, especially those that have contracted a bit during the summer, will be potentially incredible investment opportunities based on this bubble that I've been talking about. The foray into gold and silver will attract anyone with any risk capital that is aware of it. The media will ultimately drive that awareness through a staged and slow panic, if you will. This is beginning to happen now, right now. There are a few junior mining companies that are producing gold and silver at this time. There are more that are planning production within the coming year. 
I won't name them, but if you follow all the pundits and analysts in the sector, you'll be able to discern who they are, who everyone's talking about, and some that people aren't talking about, perhaps. Look at the management. Look at the projects. Look at the share structure. See how much cash they have in the bank. If these factors are all on the plus side, it might be a fairly decent risk to considering parking a portion of your investment dollars into them. It perhaps would even be more advantageous if that share price is contracting a bit or has contracted. For the time being, a good many of these resource stocks are following the market in general into a bit of a downturn. This will not last. The downturn in the general market will last and even grow, perhaps. At some point, when so driven by the media and other manipulative factors, investors will be pointed to gold and silver bullion and the stocks themselves, the public companies responsible for bringing it to market. And now could be the time to select some of these companies before those that come in after you and before those that came in before you and built these companies decide to take their own profits. An interesting game of sorts, but the bubble should be around for a while. Once the gold dust settles, these penny stocks could grow in multiples, or not. I just wanted to make you aware of the game if you didn't know. These companies and those that run them are in business for themselves and their shareholders. And the company principals and directors are indeed typically large shareholders. They have an idea of what direction their public company is headed in. If you could follow closely what they are doing, or have been doing, you may be able to shadow their movements, making investment decisions accordingly. Invest at your own risk. I'm Ellis Martin. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. they paid us for the privilege. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.